This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good evening. Welcome to Leicester Fan TV. Uh, normally we have a Wednesday night show. We bring it forward to a Tuesday night to get a special guest on for you. Uh, get your comments in below if you've got any questions for our guest tonight. We've got Ian Stringer from BBC Radio Leicester coming on to chat to you about his memories of following the Foxes from a youngster all the way through to be commentating on, on them now. But it's half past eight and it's time for the Foxes Tale. We'll get some evenings in. Here we got evening all day, evening. Evening, Phil. I know you're busy sorting the kids out, you've just said to me. Evening, Tom. Evening, all. There we go, lads. Well, we'll get him in. The man uh, behind the mic, as I call him now. Uh, BBC Radio, that's Desi Ian Stringer. Evening, mate. How are you? Okay. Yeah, good, thanks, Ian. Thank you for coming on the show tonight. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I'll kick it off. Where did it all start? How did you get into being a Leicester City fan? Oh, uh, I can help you out with that. Stand by. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I can help. Hold on. I've props. How about try and get the reflection off? How about no. that? A little me in blue. Is that Wolverhampton at home? 
What about Hampton Wanderers away? Now, back in those days, there weren't away mascots, but I was meant to be mascot for a home game, but it was postponed because of ice at Filbert Street. Oh. And so the club said to me, I want to be an away mascot. Uh, that was in 1991, I think. I've, I've been going to watch City for a few years before then. Um, and I was mascot with Ali Mocklin at Molyneux, which was, which was lovely. Um, my first memory of, of going to Filbert Street, my dad and I looked at this the other day, actually, in Fossil the Foxes, and... I think we did youth. I was four or five. Um, it was a a Boxing Day game at home. I remember nothing, just the warm food that my aunt got me because uh, I was freezing cold. Didn't quite get it. Was told that I was following the team in blue. Um, and then my, my real memories, my real first memories of following Leicester City were in Pen Four. So my dad and I, I still don't know to this day kind of how this ever happened or how we ever managed this. But kids, like, so I go in with my dad, we'd pick up uh, his friend, my friend, Steve Rogers. We'd, we'd walk down, uh, down kind of Ailston Road, then turn right, address Statue of Liberty, in you go, uh, and into Filbert Street, which was obviously left and not up to the King Power. Um, and we'd go up into Pen 4 of the Cop, and my dad had, you know, people religiously had their own spot in the concrete where they'd just stand and everyone kind of knew, and you had your own footprint. And my dad and, and Rogers had their own, spot right at the back and I was around that age kind of seven eight nine ten and the cop you couldn't see over the barriers you had no chance as a kid but in pen four they kept the lawn mowers in like a box right at the front of pen four the groundsman would put all the mowers in there there were gates kind of the pitch side but open the gates out get the lawn mowers out so I'd climb on top and sit there and be able to peek over the fence and, and watch the game and we're talking kind of Tony James rescue goal against Oxford kind of time. So like late 80s, early 90s, uh, just missed Lineker. Um, but yeah, kind of those early 90s games. And then obviously the, the playoff finals went to all of those and the League Cup finals. And yeah, it's, it's in my blood and thankfully it's in the blood of my children as well. So that's kind of what we've got to do. Oh, definitely. You've got to try and pass it down. And it, it, me doing the same thing with my brother at the moment. He, he's now into Vardy, this and Vardy, that. Uh, there's every goal, is it Vardy? It's one of the things you want to pass down and keep them, you know, the generations coming to the football club. Yep. I mean, you grew up a Leicester fan. You then got, you decided to go into journalism. Uh, I'll take it went uni and did all that. And then you, no, you didn't. No, not seen the inside of university. In my life, <laughs> other than basketball. Uh, I don't have an A-level to my name. Um, Fair play. I left. Uh, I was living on my own when I was seventeen. My dad was a publican and moved and moved and moved and moved and moved, and it just got to a stage where I was at college in Surrey, actually, uh, at the time down south in a little village called Godston, and he moved again to Leighton Buzzard, and I was at college at the time doing air levels, and I was like, Nah, I ain't moving again. I can't do it. So I stayed where I was, lived on my own, and the A levels didn't go particularly well. So I decided to bin it and get into the workplace. I went to the first place I could think of, and that was retail. And I started working at Dixon selling TVs to people when I was 17, 18, and stayed doing that until my mid to late 20s. So I have a, a strong sales background. <laughs> Fair play. Question while we talk about the playoffs. Which one was your favourite trip to Wembley, Ian? Uh, hi, Lee. Uh, pretty easy isn't it really it's the derby one because having gone through the heartache of blackburn the heartache oh. of Swindon, uh and my, my dad tells me to this day you know like 
when the equaliser went in and, and it was 3-0 against Swindon and you thought, what's going on here? There's a miracle happening. It's magic. It's playoffs. It's last year's over. It's now 3-0, having come from nowhere to, to level it up. And I, My dad says, he vividly remembers, that I kind of, I became a football fan around that time because I was bought into it and I turned and I jumped at him at Wembley. I just jumped at my dad. And obviously, thankfully, he caught me uh, and we went mad. And then... You know, there was yet another penalty that never was that was given. And, and then Derby the next year, Lee, is the answer to the question. But they did it the hard way then as well, didn't they? Because it went 1-0 down uh, against Derby to ultimately come back and win it. So Derby's got to be the favourite playoff visit to Wembley. Yeah, it feels like silence of the land was the best. Indeed, Philip, indeed. I mean, so you carried on with Dixon's. And then where did the career go then? I moved from retail, uh, I moved around a little bit, again, predominantly down south, uh, some Auburn's area, Hemel Hempstead, Luton, a bit of North London, kind of Uxbridge area, Hampstead, that's quite a nice gas, by the way. Um, and then I moved into training. So I would train Dixon staff. Uh, I'd had enough of retail and Boxing Day and, and it's, it's relentless retail. Anybody that works in retail or works with the retail industry, um, which I know Philip has a strong association with, uh, I have tremendous respect for because putting point of sale in and making sure that merchandising is right. And then, by the way, you've got to sell stuff to people. So uh, tremendous respect for everybody. I'd had enough and decided to go to the head office. Helped with training. And then when I was about 26 or so, I moved into software sales. So still sales. Uh, I was selling animation software. Uh, but I was in charge of finding retailers to sell it for us, so the reseller arm. Uh, and then part-time, I wanted to become a broadcaster. And um, on my 21st birthday, there was a competition on Radio 1, Sarah Cox was on the air, and you had to commentate on your CD collection as though it was a game of football. And it was my 21st birthday, just coming back from the gym in the morning, and thought, I've been pretty funny. So I called in and I got through and I had to commentate. I had a CD rack and I had to commentate for 60 seconds on my CD collection as though it was a game of football. And I was up against somebody else and then people texted in to vote and whoever got the most votes went through. Um, and I won, I, I got through and it was funny and then there was like a final and the winner got to go to the FA Cup final with nine friends. It was at Cardiff at the Millennium Stadium that year in 2002 and I won. Uh, it was a very, very expensive prize. And I made a friend that day called Mark Chapman. Um, Chappers present uh, Match of the Day 2, sometimes Match of the Day 1, and, and anchored Five Live. He's an extraordinary broadcaster. And I said to him after that day, I was like, I commentated on my CD collection because I've always fancied myself as a commentator. I've got a big job. I sell stuff. My football knowledge is okay. And he said to me, mate, just camp on the doorstep of your local radio station. So I did. And I started making the cheapers. As big a cliche as that is, that's a fact. I started by making the tape in 2002. And then slowly but surely, I, I got non-league scores from the fax machine and did a little non-league corner at the end of the show and got a bit of airtime. And one day, the Wickham Wonders reporter couldn't, for one reason, recover the chair boy. So I stepped in and covered and do you know that game was against Cambridge United a long long time ago about a thousand games ago uh, and I wasn't nervous which I found pretty bizarre I just, just, just did it just cracked on Tony Adams was manager 
That was interesting. Um, <laughs> and I did, I think I did, I've had some managers in my time, by the way. Uh, I think I did three or four seasons covering Wickham and MK Dons with Three Counties Radio. And for one reason or another, left my job temporarily there uh, to go and try and be for the next staff member. That didn't go really well. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll stay away from that bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, mate, I ain't got a problem. Um, the Jobber Leicester came up, I applied and got it. And, and still to this day, 630 Leicester City games in, I pinch myself that I get to cover Leicester City as a professional. It's a, a, an unbelievable job. And then I look at this montage behind me, and I saw them lift the Premier League trophy and they paid me. It's ridiculous. Um, I am a very, very lucky boy. I mean, you, you got to the Foxes. Uh, it was a terrible season, the season before relegation from mm-hmm. the old champ- old League One to, well, Championship then it would have been to the new mm-hmm. Division One. Uh, first away game was Stockport, a nil-nil draw, if I remember rightly. Right. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, a hard time for the football club. Things had gone through a strange time of relegation, change of manager, Nigel Pearson had come into the football club, yep. but... Yep. seemed an interesting appointment seeing that he'd kept Southampton up on the final day of the season and we'd gone down. Yeah. And you then went on to commentators winning the Division 1 title with uh, Mac Oakley as captain at the time. Yeah, he was, yeah. Um, and I thought at that time, I was pretty happy. That's, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I was pretty happy they were in League 1. I felt comfortable that Leicester City were in League 1 because I'd covered a lot of League 1 football. So I kind of knew Wadden Road at Cheltenham pretty well. I'd been there numerous times covering Wickham and MK before. So a season in League One for me, I was like, all right, League One, League One loads. I know the grounds, I know the setup. Crack on, do it, no problem. Um, and they obviously they won it at the first time of asking. And I remember calling the the goal at South End, Matthew Fry's second goal, something like Leicester City are back where they belong. They're back in the championship. And at the time, you know, as a commentator, it's a, it's a strange job because you say things that are in that moment. And in that moment, they are your belief that they are true. And they are, you know, uh, much better commentators than me have said game over at 2-3-0 and the side have come back and, and levelled it up or won it. So, But what you say in that moment is what you believe. And I said, Leicester City are back where they belong, they're back in the championship. Little did I know. Uh, that that wasn't even the start of the story, really, was it? I oh, know. We then go into the following season with uh, the the end of the season playoff, a one nil defeat to home to Cardiff in the first leg, following by the most bizarre game I've probably ever been to at that point in my lifetime. I was there in the away end and thinking we've won this, and then they concede in the last minute before extra time. And then the heartache of uh, a Frenchman deciding that chipping a penalty was the best option in that uh, pressure moment. It was a, uh, a strange end to the season. I mean, we thought that would be the strange end, but we then would go forest away. I mean, someone's put on here, what's your favourite commentating moment? Uh, would it have been where they got on Russell? Put it on here. Do, do, do. Russell put, what's your favourite moment come to Leicester? Surely it's the knockout goal, Elie Le Bleu at uh, Forest Inn. Uh, hi, Ross. No, uh, the question was Leicester goal, wasn't it? Um, because ridiculously, my favourite commentary goal is that one. And it involved a Belgian. 
playing for Chelsea, <laughs> uh, scoring against Spurs. That was my favourite commentary moment, but my favourite commentary Leicester City moment. It's hard, isn't it? Because you know, yeah, it's very, very difficult. In in there would be Ross. Turn to your question. Vardy's goal against Liverpool, obviously, because he just he just scored that from his his laces to me, just from his the bottom of his boots. He's just licked it with his right foot, and it's gone in. And you think, are they going to win it? Are they going to win it? Are they going to win it? And then Vardy scores, and you think, good lord. Uh, and you've got to call that. You know, my job is to encapsulate the mood of the game at that point and, in some respects, the fans. Um, so that would be certainly up there. Um, I'm a soft old sausage, so Andy King's goal against Everton on the 7th of May 2016 when they lifted the trophy uh, and Kingy scored. And again, from nowhere, uh, my goal call involved uh, the boy that's got all three medals because at the time I just thought that was phenomenal that somebody won League One, the Championship and the Premier League with the same team. Uh, outrageous. Champions League, you know, Mark O'Brien against, against Bruges, the first ever Champions League goal. So they'd be my favourites. They would certainly be, probably be my top three, but I'm sure somebody would contest that. And say Wes Morgan uh, against Sevilla or... Or knockers against Forest that day, where everything just fell into place, and and Chris Wood had it. Uh, I think Harry Kane, no, uh, Chris Wood, sorry, Chris Wood had it, didn't he? And and then found oh, knockers. Uh, yeah, knockers, and, and and away they went. But the previous season, the previous one against Watford, I think. I'm saying in the first leg, Harry Kane, Jamie Vardy, Walter, I think on the bench uh, yeah. against Watford that season, or or the playoff game, which. Again, you know, there's been some, there's been some incredible options and clearly. I mean, we say, we, we talk about the playoff final, another game I was sadly at and I remember thinking when knockout went down and the penalty we were given, I just remember the feeling of we haven't scored and everyone had gone mental. And I remember just standing there, there wasn't really a, we're going to do this. Because the question I've, I was going to ask you, I know knockout took the penalty, but the question I've never understood it, we had David Nugent standing on the pitch on the halfway line and he didn't yeah, and, stand up and to take the penalty. Nuge says that he regrets not taking responsibility that day, um, and and Nuge said that he regrets not focusing on penalties a little bit more as a player actually because he's a pretty cool head, <laughs> David Nugent. Um, he can he's calm under pressure. Um, I remember like you when when the penalty was given. I remember Alan Young who was sat next to me at the time saying, "Don't let him take it." The first thing that came out of Youngie's mouth, Youngie said, "Oh no." And I didn't question it because, again, your summariser, the guy next to you, works on feeling and how they feel. And Youngie said, oh, no, don't give him it. Don't let him take it. And Youngie, in that moment, in that moment of euphoria and ecstasy and, and pressure, Youngie knew because he'd been there. He knew that what had gone on with, with Anthony and, and yeah. his character that he'd want to take it. Uh, you know, clearly... Youngie and I aren't going to have an influence on the sidelines, um, and, and Anthony Knockout took it. But that's, I thought that was going to be my hardest 21 seconds in broadcasting between um, Almunia, wasn't it? I had to say it twice. Yeah. Uh, and then the ball goes down the other end, and Ketchianya has it, and, and Andy King's jockeying him. And we all look back on it now, and hindsight is a wonderful thing. And I love Kingy to pieces. I do. I do. I do. I really do. I adore him. But when I watch it now, I, I you know, like. Harry Kane in the World Cup, we all shout at him, square it, square it to, to Sterling. I shout at Andy King now, do him, 
Just go through him. Go through him on the on the sideline and, and defend a center, uh, defender set piece. No, he didn't, and he didn't, and Dean scored, and who would have known what happened the next season? But I thought that was my toughest twenty-one seconds of the twenty-one. Uh, we then we then go on to the championship champions. <laughs> you know, winning the league in the championship, uh, a canter in the end. Really, we. Uh, we had some ups and down games, but there's plenty of good games against the likes of Derby and Forest where we, we really enjoyed ourselves and we made ourselves look like champions in that season. You know, it's yeah. one of the hardest leagues to get out and you must have felt quite proud to see the team going back to the Premier League after over a decade away from it. Yeah, and they cruised it really, didn't they? Ultimately that season, I think they set records for away wins, um, consecutive wins as well. Um, I think Kevin Phillips was really important in that season, actually. I don't think he gets enough credit. Stalwarts like Lloyd Dyer performing brilliantly. Uh, what a footballer he was for the Foxes uh, during that time. Uh, scored the goal, of course, up at Brighton that crowned them uh, champions. Um, and yeah, it was it was a great season. Thoroughly enjoyed that season going up to the Premier League and again as a reporter. It's funny because like a lot of people think that because I'm a, a fan, I don't class myself right now as a Leicester fan because I can't be. Because um, what does a Leicester fan do? Shouts and screams, take the kids for the football, wear the shirt. I don't do any of those things. I can't do any of those things. Uh, it feels strange if ever I put a Leicester shirt on, because, which is very, very, very rare. Because I've got to be balanced. It's like it, it's really, really difficult. But still, somewhere in you, there's the there's this lad. Yeah. The sees your club promoted to the Premier League and, and also my kids you know I've got I've got three kids you might be able to see little Owen uh, at Wembley um, and it's it's them that get me in commentary if I think about them for a split second I'm gone uh, my, my dad or me or you know being a boy Leicester fan I'm alright with that it's my kids it's particularly Owen um, but yeah, I was I was overjoyed. I was overjoyed that they were in the Premier League, that my kids could support a Premier League team. And and we all thought, let's all be honest, nick 40 points for as many seasons as they possibly can, stay in the Premier League, job for good. I mean, that first season back, the uh, first few games, you know, very tough start to the season. But I mean, the game will stand out in that one. And the moment for Mr Vardy's first Premier League goal must have been a special moment to commentate on. It was actually. I got a regret about that the commentary of that goal because I um I call him son. I say you're in on goal son, which which I've, I've not done since. I wouldn't do. But again, at that time, it was that moment, and you just felt I felt part of that primal atmosphere in the in the stadium that night. And um and yeah, to roll it home again, I thought it, that September. I thought I remember asking a photographer. Uh, Michael Regan, who's a very, very, very good Premier League photographer, Leicester fan as well. He'd got a, a shot of Cambiasso's goal from behind the goal. You know, sometimes they set the cameras up uh, and they're controlled by remote, remote access. Yeah. He'd got a picture of Cambiasso literally wheeling away in the background, De Gea diving, semi-diving with a grumpy face and the ball in the net. And I remember thinking, again, <laughs> this is it. This is going to be my defining moment as a commentator. Leicester City's defining Premier League game, win, moment. Like, coming back to beat Manchester United 5-3 doesn't happen. I thought, wow. And I asked Michael for that picture and, and he said, mate, no problem. As long as it's for your own use, like to, to put up in the house or something, no problem. Go for it. And he, uh, he sent me the picture and, and I kept it. And I thought, 
brilliant. That's it. And then obviously it went wrong and they were bottom of the table for 100 days and it looked like they were going to go down. And again, King scores at home against West Ham and then Vardy away at West Brom and, and it starts motoring, it starts picking up. And actually, again, they kind of stayed up with a little bit to spare that season, didn't they? Incredibly. Um, there's been very few quiet seasons. That's over the last few years. There is a question during that relegation battle that someone mentioned, Mr. Pearson. He had a few uh, incidents, uh, one being the old, uh, as we said, the strings were for the ostrich gate. You, sir, are an ostrich. I mean, it must have been strange sitting in the press room when he came out with that one. Uh, I wasn't the there. I wasn't, yeah. uh, no, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the press conference for that um, because. Our interviews have done outside of the press conference room, so we've got a radio booth. So the managers do TV normally, pre-COVID. They'll do TV interviews in the TV areas at the end of the tunnel. Um, then they'll come and do radio, and then they'll go through to the press conference room. So I'm post-match. I'm not in that that room. Uh, uh, pinning pinning James McCarthy down on the halfway line against Palace. Yeah, you know. So much of that particular incident was blown out of proportion. Nigel was yeah. just having a giggle. Um, uh, listen, Nigel Pearson and I have had our running. I was going to say, someone, someone are you back on the Christmas card just yet? <laughs> hello, hello, Keith. Do you know, strangely, Keith, yes, I am, uh, which in itself <laughs> is bizarre. Um, after the, the tragic death of Kumbishai, it it changed me quite a lot as a man, and it made me realise the fragility of life. And I wanted to try and repair a few bridges that had seemingly been burnt. And I decided to reach out to Nigel through, through somebody that I know and say, look, there's no hidden agenda. Nigel was out of work. Um, I just want to bury the hatchet. I just want to come and say hello and just you know, crack on. Bygones will bygones. And I got a call saying, yeah, no problem. Here's his address. Come up. So I went up and he was stood there brilliantly. At the end of his driveway, Nigel lived in a nice house, as you would imagine, uh, a house that he's been in for a long, long time. Um, and he was stood there, kind of arms on his on his hips, at the end of his driveway, looked at me in that headmaster style. First time we'd seen each other for years and there'd been a lot of animosity. He went, now then, will it be tea or coffee? I said, I'll have a, I'll have a tea, Nigel, please. Sugar, lad? Yeah, go on, put one in. All right, come and sit down. And I was there for a couple of hours, having a chat, barely talked about the issues, really. Um, a little bit, danced around them. He had his view, I had mine. He was a lot more relaxed, a lot more sympathetic. I was as well, because I'd matured a little bit. We all make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. I stayed there for a couple of hours, had a good chat about work, about managerial stuff, about the family, about um, his wife while she was there, said hello. I know her. And actually, yeah, so to answer your question, um, yes, I've, I've, I've not actually got a Christmas card from him, but I'm not sure Nigel actually does Christmas cards. But when City played Watford in the first game after the lockdown, uh, Nigel was in charge and, and I was pitch side going up to the commentary box and he walked past, had a wave, had a quick hello, how are you? So, yeah, I, listen, we had our run-ins, we had our issues, <laughs> but I think we're all right now. Good, good. We'll then go on to what will be the most craziest 38 games in the club's history, starting off by winning the league. <laughs> no one would have thought that there's, there's Sunderland at home, a 4-2 win, and I remember the chance we're going to win the league. 
And I think at 4 2, we were all having a bit of a laugh because the season before and thinking if we get 40 points, we'll be more than happy again. To hear the chance that we're going to win the league after one game was even more funnier. But then to go on and achieve that greatest of all achievements in the football history, 5,000 to 1. And again, to you to commentating on your boyhood, you know, club, that must have been even more of a special moment than the League One and the Championship. I think, I think it's only started to sink in in the last couple of years, I think, really. I think in 2016, when it happened, it you know it was madness. We were all at Vicky Park. Um, and as a city, we just thought... It, it, it united people like I've never seen... I've never seen before. I've never seen sport unite our city like that. Our city, I think, is relatively united, actually, uh, and diverse. And I love that about our city and our county. I really do. Um, but... To see that that day was just was just out of this world, and you know I remember being in the newsroom with Jason. Jason Bourne was a presenter back then. Um, the week of the build-up to the Everton game, and I, I just had this surreal kind of moment. I looked at him and I said, "Mate, this is weird because I know in two days' time the greatest day of my life and your life is going to happen, and I know it's coming, and I know that afterwards it will never get better." Never. Because even if they win the league again, it won't be like that first time. It won't be that 5,000-1-12-3. It won't be Claudio being Claudio in the press conference. It won't be Vardy scoring from everywhere, 11 for second games. We won't have that. I remember saying to him, mate, in 48 hours' time, it's going to be our greatest day of our lives. And it's strange knowing that that's coming. It's strange knowing that it's all set up. And I remember Bocelli, and Bocelli was announced, and I'm I'm not the biggest classical music fan, I've got to say. And we heard Andrea Bocelli's going to sing. I was like, cool, all right. Turned up and uh, had his sound check on, on May the 7th again, before the Everton game. It blew me away. His sound check, I've, I've still got a video of it now. His sound check, and he goes for that big Ness and Dorman moment, that big Ness and Dorman note in his sound check. There's about 150, 200 people in the stadium at this stage. No, but first he's doing his run, he's waddling around. Um, and his sound check got a standing ovation. But the 150 people that were in there that day just looked around and went, ooh, this day's going to be a little bit special. It's going to be a little bit different. And, and just watching them lift that Premier League trophy just seemed bizarre. It is bizarre. And I remember at that time thinking, Jesus, you can strike me down now because I'm done. I'm done. I've seen Leicester City win the Premier League. There will not be a greater sporting story ever. So, um, that's it. I mean, you were lucky enough to be at Stamford Bridge the Monday night. You then phoned that you and Jason on the phone in and you're singing with your dad on the, the hmm. songs. I mean, yeah. it was a memorable night that night. I mean, for everybody to head down to the King Power after and you headed down yeah. yourself once you got back yeah. from Chelsea. I mean, the emotions on that night, I mean, it, it, look, we would all would have loved to win the league ourselves, but to have it done and then have the build-up, like you said, to the Chelsea game, uh, to the Everton game at home, sorry, and we're lifting the trophy with no pressure on us to go in that game and to win it. It made it even more special that there was a laid-back attitude towards that game, that we were all there for one big party. There was no pressure of having to win a game of football to win the league. It made it more special, I think, in the end. We then... Oh, yeah. We got then to go to Chelsea at Claudio's old club on the final day of the season oh, to get the 1 1 draw and uh, Claudio to get the standing ovation he deserved from Chelsea from all the work he'd done there and for us. It then go weird because the season then things didn't seem to go to plan. 
Claudio left after the Seville defeat, and we were all quite shocked because Syria would come away with an away goal where they were still in the tie. Uh, the news then broke a few hours later that Claudio had been sacked and Craig Shakespeare had been put in charge. Going into a second leg, what we all knew was going to be very difficult. And again, Mr. Mr. Lester, as I call him, sometimes all Brighton pops up and scores an, another goal when you need him. He doesn't score money, but when he does, they're special mm. ones. And that the atmosphere in the build to that game for me was up there. The you know the intensity yeah, the fans of the fans were great, weren't they? The away fans congregating in Leicester, enjoying it, singing, uh, walking down to the stadium. Yeah, the Champions League was special. Champions League away nights were special. Uh, I've just written a piece about Ben Chilwell actually, who made his who played Champions League football before he played Premier League football. Incidentally, he played in the Porto game, the five 0 away defeat. Um, but those Champions League nights were so special and it was a bonus and um, my time hop today on my phone uh, told me that uh, I had four, I had the, the pots, the UEFA Champions League draw pots and my headphones and Leicester City were in pot one. And that's just ridiculous. That is bizarre. I mean, they're in that's the Europa League now and they're not going to be in pot one or two. They're in pot one go. in the Champions League. And those Champions League nights were just were just unforgettable. And to play and compete and win amongst the elite. Let's remember they cruised the group. They didn't concede a goal for the first was it four games. Undefeated at home. Yeah. Um Bruce scored, didn't they, against them and then Porto stuck five past them, but um oh Champions League days and the away days and even the draw. I mean the draw. Bruges. Oh, Bruges was beautiful. Porto, Copenhagen, and then Sevilla Madrid. You know. We couldn't have asked for a better draw. I mean, in theory, we could have come out with the right shocker, but we got some great places to go. We got some great atmosphere. Moving on to the here and now. I mean, we're now into the end of the weirdest season. I think we'll ever have another weird season like this and having a three month, four month break before we then finished off high and closed doors. I mean, you're lucky enough you've still been able to go to the games where the fans have been stuck at home. And for me, it's a very strange thing just to be watching an empty stadium. I mean, for you to commentate on as well, I mean, you must shrug off some of the atmosphere coming from the crowd during the games and to have an empty stadium, is it must be a strange thing to try and commentate on. Horrible, really, really horrible because as a commentator, you kind of ride the wave of the crowd. So if there's a red card and, and the, the crowd are on the ref, you kind of... You jump on that wave and you ride that wave and you bring it back down as it, as it calms down. And same with goals or goals against, even, you know, even defeats. A commentator still uses the crowd as a, a commentator for a, a home team. You know, when they got whacked by, by Portsmouth away, you still use that crowd. It's kind of, you feel around for it and you dodge around it as a commentator and you use it to, to bounce your shoulders off of. There's no one there. And listen, I'm lucky, I'm fortunate. I really am for being at the games. I am. But they're horrible. They're horrible. And and I certainly never underestimated the power and importance of a crowd. And I don't think Leicester City Football Club did either because they know the importance of the Blue Army. But if ever an exclamation mark needed at the end of a Blue Army, this lockdown has proven that because it's been it's been really, really difficult without crowds. And I hope that crowds can return safely. Uh, very soon and, and hopefully the numbers can increase as well. Just quickly for going in, I mean, there is the news breaking earlier today that Chilwell's probably going to be signing for Chelsea in the next three to four days. Uh, 
I know Lionel Messi's now come up, so we could probably put that 50 million towards him signing. <laughs> <laughs> that employed for a couple of months, wouldn't it? We, we, we could get him for a, a loan period, I suppose. But do you feel that there's a, a lot of strength in need doing him, especially with the UEFA uh, UEFA Cup this year? You know, it's going to be a long, hard slog this season with being extra games. And I know we've signed Mendy back as a you know midfielder. Well, I think it's a great little bit of business. Can it's going to be strange transfer window with the you know. Covid's involved. I think it's going to knock a lot of price tags down because people haven't probably got the finances they normally would with the crowd to not being in there. But do you think left back will be the main place now to strengthen Chilwell leaves? I don't think it'll be the main place. No, um, there's time. There is time to sign players, and I know that there's a lot of frustration, and I understand why there's a lot of frustration. But the window's open, and it remains open until early October, doesn't it? So yeah. there is time to strengthen. Um, they will need to sell Chilwell to release the cash to sign other players and other uh, strengthen in other, other areas. Um, of course, there's the added uh, issue of Sadi Diabati, Rashid Gazelle, Islam Slomani, Adrian Silva, uh, players that were out on loan that are paid by the club. They are employees, they are staff, they are players. What are you going to do with them? If you don't have plans, you're going to need to get them off the wage bill fast to release those funds. Um, Luke Thomas is a good player, just signed a contract extension. Good news. James Madison signed a contract extension. That's very good news. Let's remember, Leicester City, I think, spent £24.1 million on five players if we're assuming two will go for £45 million that they've made £250 million on. So the price is £225 million on five players. So they've still managed to finish above Spurs and Arsenal having sold four of them, you know, N'Golo, Riyadh um, being two pretty pretty significant ones. Um, yeah, they need to sign. Yeah, of course they do. They need to strengthen. They'll need numbers. Brendan will want that because the the schedule is going to be tough. I, incidentally, I think the Premier League is going to be a stronger league. I think Leeds coming up. Leeds are going to be strong. I think their momentum will be good. They play some really good football, as do Fulham under Scott Parker. West Bromwich Albion are likely, respectfully, to and maybe scratch it out. I can see them staying up. I look at the Premier League and I'm not sure who, who's going to go down. It's a, it's I mean, a most people yeah. have looked at it and gone, yeah, they're going to go down. They're going to struggle. Villa to maybe struggle. Is it is it Burnley's season to finally struggle of, of teams like Newcastle got enough to keep their heads above water? Palace, you know, big club. Um, so to answer the question, yes, they need to strengthen. Yes, they need to get people in. But um, there's time and there's, there's things that need to happen there's a new training ground around the corner they're in Europe this season um, next season I think will be very very different I thought they'd finish fourth last season they finished fifth I think I would take a top ten finish right now two questions for you going one over the next two transfer windows is it vital we sign Vardy's replacement who's going to take over from the reins considering he's probably only got maybe three good seasons if his body stays fit. And the second question is your opinion on Damari Gray and his development since he's been at the football club. Uh, on J.B. Vardy, J.B. Vardy will, be, will go down as the greatest Leicester City player ever um, of all time, but he's also the biggest problem because how do you replace him? How, you know, it's not a case of the king's dead, long live the king, because there's nobody to step into those shoes, those boots. It's, it's, it's so hard because if you sign, if let's sign Danny Ings tomorrow, 
he's going to be on the bench unless you yeah. can get him in and, and play him around Vardy and and play him as a a, a one and withdraw and withdrawings or something or play him as a three and get somebody alongside him. But that fulcrum is always going to be Jamie Vardy. Whilst he's got two legs attached to his hip, he will play. I think he probably has got a good couple of three seasons left in him, incidentally, because he's fit as a fiddle still. Um, yes, yes, the biggest test for the club is signing his replacement, but how do you do that? I don't know how to do that. Develop from within? I I'm not sure. You can't take a gamble on a million-pound Fleetwood signing in the Premier League these days because they did that in the Championship and, and he got time to bed down. So, no, I, I, I see that as a really, really difficult thing to do. Damari Gray, bags of talent. His feet are so quick up close and personal. When you see him, when you're there, he's gone in a flash. He can beat anybody on his day, but his biggest problem is he wants to beat them twice. He'll beat them and he'll just come back to beat them again. Damari Gray could have the world at his feet. But something not clicking. It's almost there. He's a Raheem Sterling waiting to be delivered in front of us all, but there's just something not. He's got pain. He's not got strength, but as a winger, he can use his brain, his skill, his feet, he get past people. There's something just not quite clicking. I think they'll give him another season. I hope they do, because then they can they can go, or maybe January, then they can go, look, we've all tried. It's just not worked. It's good time to call it a day, maybe. But I don't think that they're in a position whereby they can afford to sell a winger right now, because they need all the winning they've got. Well, Ian, thank you so much for coming on tonight. It's been a oh, pleasure having you on, mate. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Mate, I think everyone here will appreciate it. And thanks for coming later for you, mate. Much appreciated, much getting your story of your beloved Leicester City, uh, tales of heartache from Watford and Cardiff through to the Premier League. Great days. But uh, as always, mate, thank you so much for your time, mate. Much appreciated. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And um, yeah, what, what a journey it's been. I just want to say that I really do feel privileged. I feel I'm I'm very, very lucky to do the job I do. I work hard at it, in you know, keeping it in context, working hard. Um, being unscripted on the radio for four hours has its has its challenges, but I, I really am appreciative. And everybody that's ever listened or listens or tunes into the, the football forum on a Monday or listens on a match day, I'm incredibly thankful that everybody makes that choice because it's a choice. People choose to watch this right now. People choose to listen to me on the radio. My nan listens to me on the radio. My nan has listened to Leicester City commentary all her life. She's in her 80s. And now it's her grandson. And I take that uh, job as an honour. It really is an honour and it's a privilege. And I'm really thankful to everyone that's ever choose to tune in or continue to tune in. Thank you once again. Hopefully once the season starts up halfway through, we can get you back on and have a chat about the current season, mate. That'd be appreciated. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully when they're top of the top of the tree and they're leaving Liverpool and, and Chelsea and Man City in the way. Oh, cheers, mate. Thank you very much, Ian. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Take it easy. Thank you. Bye-bye. And as always, thank you to the you, you fans who come on and watch this, you know. We give it a time. Thank you to the sponsors who come on and sponsor us. It's all appreciated to buy the kit to do the jobs. And uh, as ever, you know, thank you for coming on doing your commentaries. But as for always, good night.
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.